I was a little girl, I would say I was about six years old, I was sitting on my grandmother's double bed one morning and she was getting ready to go into town. I say town, it was a very small mining town in South Wales. I'm from a very modest background and we were going to buy some meat from the butcher. And she was sitting at her dressing table and I watched her powder her nose from a Stratton compact, which were these gilt compacts that working class women tended to get when they retired or when they had a special birthday. And she was powdering her nose and I was transfixed completely. And I said, already being nosy and only wanting to be a journalist, why do you wear makeup? And she slicked on this hot pink lipstick from Boots Number 7. And she clicked it shut and she said, when I wear makeup, we're ready to go on an adventure. She said, what if we go into town to buy the meat and we receive a fabulous invitation and we don't feel our best and we don't feel like going? Wouldn't that be a shame? Of course, we were never going to get the fabulous invitation, but it did strike me as such a magical thing to say, and I was hooked from therein. For the rest of my life, I nurtured a real obsession with fashion and beauty, partly for that reason. I also had a huge obsession with film and with food and with music. Beauty was just one thing I cared very, very much about. I was obsessed with beauty because it allowed me to experiment and be creative and be self-expressive and be whoever I wanted to be. I could wear lightning bolts down my cheeks like David Bowie or I could braid my hair like Boy George or I could dress up as Madonna as I did for many years and probably have yet to cease. I loved it and I still love it. Two decades later, when I was the journalist I'd always wanted to be, I was writing about politics, comment on current affairs, health, relationships, family, fashion, and so on. I'd been writing for The Guardian for about two years, and I'd been writing those sorts of things. Because I knew a lot about beauty and I'd had makeup artist training, the editor of Guardian Weekend offered me a beauty column. I was delighted. Here was something I knew loads about, something I cared a lot about, something that I thought needed to be written about in a different way, and I accepted the job. The column was an instant success, and I am forever grateful for that. However, something strange happened. As the column became successful, I became typecast as a journalist. I stopped getting booked for the Sky paper review. I stopped getting asked to write about politics and current affairs. I stopped being asked for my opinion on any subject other than appearances. I also started to be spoken to like I was a little bit thick. Woman's Hour on Radio 4, on which I am a regular guest and with whom I enjoy a very friendly, amicable working relationship, at one point apologised in advance before I came on, because we know some of you don't like to talk about beauty, as though there was an inherent shame in what I was about to talk about. It was really bewildering to me. But actually, seeing what my readers endured was also an eye-opener to me. The Guardian has comments... The comments are often not representative of the readership. However, I had a large community of women sharing beauty tips. They were all wonderful. They were all enthusiastic. Often they disagreed with me, and that was great. It was thoroughly enjoyable. However, there was always a man, maybe five men, and the occasional woman, who would drop in to the comments section and say utterly bizarre things. So they would say things like, 
Why are you spending 30 quid on moisturiser when you should be giving it to charity? I don't know about you, but if a man spends 50 quid on a football ticket, he's never asked why he didn't give to charity. Also, the assumption that I don't also give money to charity is quite odd to me. Read a book. This is a waste of time. As though I don't read books, and as though the biggest waste of my time that day wasn't annihilating their stupidity in a 1,000-word reply when I could have been eating ice cream with my children on the beach. Or my favourite, my wife is so beautiful, she doesn't need to wear makeup. As though I give a shit, and also as though, the, as though making an inherent qualitative statement about how a woman looks and whether that qualifies her to enhance and express herself with makeup isn't the most sexist thing you've ever heard in your life. They would also explain to me a dyed-in-the-wool feminist who's never, ever been anything but a devout feminist. They would take to explaining feminism to me in a very slow voice. They would tell me what I was doing was incompatible with feminism. It was sexist, condescending, and spectacularly stupid. It enraged me, but this idea prevails, and this is how my readers are spoken to frequently by someone who crashes into comments. It was really bewildering to me because I have always loved both lipstick and literature. I have always shouted at question time while painting my nails. This is not how I think. This is not how anyone thinks. I'm perfectly capable of having more than one thing going on in my pretty little female head at any given time. But women are dismissed because of their interests in a way that men simply aren't. So it's fine to be into horse racing, Formula One, wine tasting, rugby, and yes, I do understand that some women are interested in those things too. But if you're interested in beauty, you are solely vain, tunnel-visioned, you're an irrelevance, you are preoccupied with irrelevance, or you're a victim of the patriarchy as though you have no free will. Of course, all mammals have an inherent instinct to groom, and makeup has been around for 6,000 years. And so that argument doesn't particularly hold up. And lots of women don't want to wear makeup, and I'm all for it. I really don't give a damn whether people wear makeup or not. But I do think that people who do wear makeup and are interested in skincare shouldn't be patronised and belittled. So why are they? Well, the beauty industry. I could say lots about the beauty industry, like about how L'Oreal funded the single biggest advancement in drugs for epilepsy, how the beauty industry as a whole funds more cancer research than any governments put together, not because they're doing it out of the goodness of their heart, but because they're hoping for research and breakthrough for skincare. But most of the major cancer research studies are funded by beauty. I could also tell you that MAC have raised hundreds of millions of dollars for research that governments can't quite be bothered to put their hands in their pockets for. However, I think we can all agree that the beauty industry is problematic. They underserve women of colour. They are obsessed with thin, white, young people. There are many, many problems with beauty industry, and I completely accept them. Broader beauty ideals are utterly essential. However, beauty and the beauty industry are not the same thing and shouldn't be conflated. And it's a very lazy way of belittling beauty as a pursuit. I don't approve of factory farming. I don't buy battery eggs. It doesn't mean I should stop cooking and enjoying food. And that's the only way I can put it. The beauty industry and beauty are completely different things. And you can be a smart consumer in one while embracing the other. But more than Formula One 
or motoring or horse racing or wine tasting. And by the way, the male motoring columnist at The Guardian continued to write about more substantial matters in the eyes of others while I didn't. I would argue that beauty is more meaningful and more important than those hobbies because it's how we express ourselves to the world, it's how we face the world, it's how we choose to express ourselves. It is an extremely important thing to many women. If it's not to you, that's perfectly fine, but it is to many women. For lots of women, putting on their makeup in the morning is the only time they spend on themselves all day. The rest of the time, they're busy at work, they're busy with their families, they're doing things for other people putting on their makeup is a moment of self-care for many of us it's also how we put our best foot forward there's a great Liz Taylor quote where she says pour yourself a drink put on your lipstick and pull yourself together and I think lots of us deal with hard times in that way it's actually beauty is actually really empowering in times when life can seem very chaotic and unhappy and unfamiliar people grab on to what is familiar their faces and how they show their faces to the world when everything else seems all at sea. Cancer patients, female cancer patients, when given their diagnosis, are more likely to ask if they will lose their hair than if they will live. That's quite a shocking statistic. And when I have asked friends about it, they have all said, I wanted to know if I would retain my privacy. And I understand that. They didn't want to be forced to tell the world that they were ill at a time they hadn't personally chosen. Women in Afghanistan under Taliban rule risked severe punishment by opening underground beauty parlours and convening in them for beauty treatments and female conversation. They were acting in direct opposition to the patriarchy we're so frequently told we're under the cosh and we have to tirelessly slap on this makeup we don't want to for the benefit of men. Now, I will just say I don't have a problem with pulling makeup. When people say to me, why do you wear makeup? You only do it for men. I don't actually, God bless you, I don't. But, <laughs> but I have absolutely no problem with grooming to attract a member of the opposite sex. All mammals do it. What the hell is the problem? And I find the, I find the question so inherently judgy that it says more about the questioner than it does the answerer. When the Red Cross liberated Belson at the end of the Second World War, the Red Cross officer on duty who kept his diaries, which are available online if you'd like to read them, described Jewish, emaciated Jewish women who had been stripped of all of their identity and reduced to what the Nazis hoped would be little more than animals and a number clamoured for red lipstick in the care packages before more essential items. I completely understood reclaiming their bodies. I can't imagine what they went through, but I understand that need to reclaim your identity, reclaim your body, and do something in direct opposition to what is expected of you. My friend Carrie died the year before last. She had osteosarcoma. She also had a first-class degree in literature, and wore lipstick like no other. She went into hospital for her first round of chemo with nine lipsticks and three lip balms. When she, when she, the tumour was discovered in her leg and she went in for this chemo, she was also going in for surgery. And she was told by the doctors that they were almost certainly going to amputate her leg in surgery. They said that when she woke up, she would still be able to feel her leg and this would be distressing to her. 
But with physio, with persistent physio, she would lose that sensation and gradually, hopefully, come to terms with it. She had told me all this in advance, and of course I was terrified, everyone was terrified for her and how she would cope. When she went into surgery, she woke up and of course she could feel her leg and she was too scared to look. When the consultant came round to her hospital bed shortly after, he said, have you looked? And she said, no, I didn't. And he said, we managed to save your leg. When she phoned me in the days following and told me this, I said, I have no idea how you coped. I have no idea what I would think or do in that situation. What do you do when you're told you're going to lose a leg and you wake up and you've kept your leg? And she said, I painted my toenails. (laughs) I completely understood what she meant. My leg, my identity, I'm going to celebrate it. I'm going to adorn it. I'm going to make it look pretty and I won't be defined by this illness. She continued to not be defined by the illness. She chose from my vast collection some sparkly peach Tom Ford eyeshadow to wear on the last time she was to see her brothers to say goodbye to them because that was the carry she wanted them to remember. It was not nothing to her. It was a hugely important ritual in saying goodbye. She then went on both when she was alive and posthumously, to raise over £150,000 and counting for cancer research. Not for the beauty industry, for cancer research. Because she had many interests and she knew what was important and, like the rest of us, did not lose perspective when it mattered. Beauty mattered to her. Other things mattered more. Now, You can, I suppose, if you're one of those dreary commenters, reduce those cancer patients and those women in Afghanistan and those women in death camps and my friend Kerry, you can reduce them to to victims or dismiss them as shallow or under the cosh of the patriarchy or vain or friperous or you can see them as they are, complex, multi-layered, interested in many things. You don't have to understand or engage in a passion for beauty. I really don't care, but people really need to start respecting it.